Hello, and welcome back to Drinking Liberally, the podcast that combines good alcohol with some friendly political banter. I'm Kevin Wilson. I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Fenner. How's everyone doing? Also joining us today is returning feature guest, Dennis Skeet. Hey, guys. Good to see you again. Dennis, we might as well just get a permanent mic for you at this point. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. We love having you here, though. You've been fanboying out the entire time. For those of you that don't know, uh, Dennis sits in the background just hanging on every word for every episode. Oh, absolutely. Pro- Producer Yogg's taking to calling him the groupie. The groupie. Ooh, <laughs> how do you feel about that? Eh, you want to fight him? No, it works. I'll be a groupie. <laughs> you guys get some uh, some Drinking Liberally t-shirts, and then I'll rock those. There we go. Yeah. We Hopefully get you get merch. it quicker than the Buttigieg t-shirt. Okay. Okay. That, that was a little rough. That way you can wear that instead of that Trump 2020 shirt you were wearing last episode. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Classy up a bit. <laughs> so, we've got a lot to talk about. A lot of actual breaking news, especially with the uh, bar testimony today that we'll get to in a minute. But first, as always, we're going to talk about what we're drinking. Today's actually a very big day. We're all going to be drinking the same thing today for the first time on this show because Jeff came in with a special surprise for us, a very special beer that he actually mentioned on our very first podcast. Yeah, we're, we're throwing it back. Jeff brought in the Andy Gator from the Abita Brewing Company out of Louisiana. It's a German Maybach style, which I actually had to double check online to see if that was true because I thought it was a Pilsner when I first drank it. It tastes a lot like a Pilsner. It's slightly sweet. There's a little bit of a fruity aroma to it. It's not too overpowering. I, I love the name and the artwork on this, Andy Gator, and it's got a alligator crashing out of the waves with a uh, you know a crown on its head. And I think it's very apropos because the alcohol volume of this beer sneaks up on you the way an alligator would. Big time. <laughs> yeah. This is 8% alcohol by volume. And uh, by Abita's own admission, it's a sipping beer, not a gulping beer. But frankly, it'd be easy not to notice the alcohol content of this. It goes down pretty smooth. Uh, this is great. Thanks for bringing this into the office today. Yeah, um, I think I said on the first one when you were drinking, um, you were doing the Abita Purple Haze. Right. And um, I, I found this beer in Fort Lauderdale probably around 2010, and it's not very prevalent in the tri-state area. Uh, there's a couple of places in New York City that have it, but the liquor store here in Jersey City where we are recording has this about once every two years. When I was telling everybody a story, I used to go in and buy all that they had when they'd have it to make them rebuy it more, and it never worked. <laughs> um, and about two years ago, the last time I saw this here, I bought the only six pack they had getting out of my car at home in the bag rip and six or five of the six no. bottles broke. So I only had one tragedy. Um, so this Disaster. is two years in the making. It's my favorite beer I've ever had. Dennis is first time trying it. Uh, what do you think? I love it. It's really good. Yeah. Done. Like yeah. this is great. <laughs> that was very in depth. I and like just to, to let everybody know, we're going to try to stick to the same beer, at least with me and Kevin going forward. We've gotten a lot of feedback from people that we're talking about different beers and brewing companies every time that it's kind of hard to know what to go try. The feedback on this has been tremendous. So we're going to try to give everybody something we like or an honest take on a beer or brewing company. Give, give our listeners a chance to go try that. Hopefully you guys like that. And uh, we'll try to point out some really good stuff. Absolutely. And again, part of this is trying great beers and talking the politics, but we always start with the beer because you need it to get through some of these topics that we're going through. Yeah. We love you, Abita. Yeah, Abita is fantastic. <laughs> Happy you brought this here. This We've come full circle in just a, a dozen episodes or so. Beautiful. <laughs> so is there any other um, clues on like where to get this like that you can tell me uh, or other there's people? There's one. I can't think of the name of it, so I apologize. There's a place in New York City that um, they're kind of like a Mardi Gras bar. 
Um, and we'll put it in the footnotes. Uh, I'll look it up. But they have it pretty much all the time. Okay. Outside oh. of that, um, Abita actually has an app you can get on your phone that has a beer locator on it. And you can put in the beer that you're looking for, and they'll tell you pretty much exact within a 25-mile radius what liquor stores and bars have the beer that you're nice. looking for. Awesome. So, uh, this one never shows up, so uh, glad to be drinking it today. <laughs> we'll be drinking that throughout the episode. Let's jump into our main topics today. Earlier this morning, we're recording this on a Wednesday, William Barr, the super honest person that serves as our attorney general, sat down in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee to um, run further interference for the White House. I spent probably too much of my work day listening to this in the background. Hopefully no one that works in my company is listening. Uh, <laughs> But this was just, it was a shit show. And as I was watching, I was wondering, why even bother having such a dishonest person sit down in front of you? And I realized, oh, right. Republicans control the Senate right now. Yep. It's a dog and pony show for them. He picked his audience. Absolutely. We got exactly what we expected out of that. Uh, Just right off the bat, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who's the chairman of the committee, just goes on this diatribe ranting about how this is no obstruction, no collusion, et cetera, et cetera. All the Trump talking points that have been pouring out of the White House over the last few weeks. And then comes out and admits that Lindsey Graham himself has not read the entire report. Are you kidding me? You're the chairman of this committee, and you didn't take the time to read I know it's long, Lindsey. <laughs> 448 pages, you know, and it's pretty dry, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mueller doesn't have the best sense yeah. of humor. And before we move on, actually, wait, we're going to just pause right there. <laughs> Jeff. I lobbed you that one. Every single time you say Mueller instead of Mueller, <laughs> we're going to take a sip. <laughs> That's the new drinking game here. <laughs> we might be dead by the end of this podcast with that rule. It's his name, bro. <laughs> you know, Lindsey Graham hasn't taken the time to read this report. And I think that's so embarrassing that I've read more than one of our senators that serves on the Judiciary Committee has read. Yeah. There's no excuse for Lindsey Graham. And he's not a run-of-the-mill senator. This guy no. um, holds a lot of power in his position. He is definitely on pace for the title of the worst person of 2019. And it is a crowded race. Crowded field, yeah. But uh, he might be lapping the track right yeah, now. Yeah. This guy, out of all the people we have issues with... He is, uh, he is unbelievable, and I know you're going to get into it, but just because of how much he's shifted from previous views on this type of topic, uh, he's, he's, he's in the lead, I would say. Long strides. He's, he's, he's way far in the lead. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, Mitch is, is trying to put him some work, Mitch McConnell, but, um, but yeah, it's not close. Yeah, that's a tough case, actually, because Mitch McConnell's just been obstructing and the Senate for so long. To Jeff's earlier point, we will get to a little more of his hypocrisy later in the show. We've got a, a clip I want to play for everybody. But it's just crazy to me that Lindsey Graham is working so hard to defend Donald Trump at this point. When like back in 2016, he was calling him a kook and someone that was unfit to be president. That's a direct quote, unfit to be president. Yeah. And now he's like his best friend and... Whatever Trump says, like, he'll jump as high as he tells him to. I mean, it's not super crazy, right? This is a follow-the-money type situation. Um, They share a lot of the same – I mean, you're talking about the people that are behind politics and the money behind it. I feel like Graham is beholden to something. But there's no other explanation at this point other than just a complete change in philosophy, attitude. Um, He's a different person than he was in 16 – Definitely a different person than he was during the Clinton administration. He's maybe the number one example of talking about 
absolute term limits for anybody in any kind of position he's got because, I mean, we're running decades now with this guy. And uh, if you can flip that many times in, a, in these decades and, and just be a different person, it's people grow. This doesn't seem like growth to me. Democrats and Republicans are slammed on what they said in 1990. And again, I feel a lot different than I felt in 1990 when I was eight. Um, but at the same time, I really feel like his came in a very short period of time and it was really drastic. But the, just one thing about that, though, is politics. And these guys are trying to get reelected. They're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, they're, they're looking at polls. They're looking at all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's what they're operating from. And there's enough people out there in that, you know, Trump base or, you know, whatever you want to call them, that are for Trump. You know, the classic... Fifth Avenue, I can shoot someone line. Right. And, you know, it sucks to watch it, but it's just clear that all these guys or all these people, congressmen, senators, whoever, they're they're trying to protect themselves and they're going to support whatever it is that keeps them, you know, in office. And We actually joked about that Fifth Avenue line earlier today yeah, when we were meeting pre-production. Yeah. And uh, nothing has ever rung more true than what Trump said that yeah. he literally could have shot somebody on fifth Avenue and still became president. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Lindsey Graham would be first in line defending him. Yep. Absolutely. It's strange. Like, yeah, Jeff, to your point earlier, I have no problem with someone growing as a person, changing their mind based on new facts. That's, that should be expected of any person, especially in politics. Please do it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people have grown on their ideas surrounding things like gay marriage. We've had a lot of Democrats that did not support it in the past and have since changed. That's positive growth in my mind. And I'm not going to say, oh, you flip-flopped. I support that 100%. But Lindsey Graham's just done such a turnaround. And he was a guy that, where I disagreed with almost all of his politics, I almost respected years ago for having his principles. He came. He was a little bit more of a, like, a John McCain-esque Republican. Yeah. yeah. And he happened to be good friends with John McCain, so maybe that's why. Maybe that was his moral grounding on it. Um, not to say that Chama came was perfect himself, but right. I could at least respect them as politicians and just say we disagree on policy. But now he's just gone completely the other way. We're like, wh- what happened to those morals? Yeah, he's just it, gone the complete opposite. And way. to be fair, it doesn't have to be growth towards the liberal side or Democrat side. Like yeah. this growth is towards non-truth and defending things that right in your face are showing you that's not correct. So it's not growth towards any side. It's growth towards enablement of what we feel is a pretty terrible administration. And I think that's the disheartening thing. Well, enough about Lindsey Graham. Let's talk about Barr's testimony, uh, the big set piece of Wednesday morning. So I said at the top of this segment that this was a shit show, and it was. William Barr came out just with his shield for Donald Trump. It was very telling as you watched, and if you were able to watch like the live video of him rather than just the audio, how comfortable he was with Republicans asking questions versus Democrats. Mm. There was like a perceivable shift in his body language where he was able to just, you know, put his hands down, sat back, laughed with the Republicans. Every time a Democrat would ask a question, he like have his start fidgeting, mm. put his hands over his mouth. He was it was almost like a tell, like a poker tell. Wow. He would be a terrible poker. Which is weird because this guy's been a lawyer. Yeah. And that strikes me as odd that he wouldn't be better at hiding his emotions during this. He was pretty transparent. Yeah. Uh, to everyone but Republicans. Oh. Or they probably see it too. And yeah. Because the they're, fi- they're playing the same game. The yeah. fix is in. Yeah. He chose where to sit. He chose to sit in front of the Senate judiciary as opposed to, you know, front of the House or 
the other places he could have. He doesn't want to sit in front of the lawyers uh, asking him questions. While we were recording, actually, it just broke that he will not sit in front of the house, which he was scheduled to do on um, Thursday, the 2nd of May. To Jeff's point there, we heard that he did not want to sit in front of the house if lawyers were going to be questioning him rather than just regular congressional members. Yeah, and that's just crazy, right? Because we had Christine Blasey Ford um, in the Kavanaugh hearings testify, and she's being interviewed by a lawyer or counsel, and uh, that's perfectly fine for someone that's been like a sexual assault victim and, you know, have the lawyer questioning her. But when it comes to the attorney general of the you know United States, he's too delicate to sit in front of a yeah. counsel and... and get questions from lawyers. She's going to get questions from, you know, house members that unfortunately some of them don't even know what they're talking about and uninformed or don't know how to question people properly. I think that's a a fair criticism of him because he knows damn well that sitting in front of lawyers is going to make him look terrible. Yeah. He himself is a lawyer. And when he was, let's just jump into uh, Kamala Harris, former prosecutor, when she was questioning him, he was visibly perturbed. And she had a, a strong line of questioning and you could tell, like, her her past as a prosecutor really shined through during this. Yeah. Because she was able to start asking him questions and got him to admit that neither William Barr himself or Rod Rosenstein ever investigated the underlying evidence regarding obstruction huh. in the Mueller report. So he flat out admitted to that, which I'm sure looking back, he's going to regret. Yeah. Her question on that was amazing, by the way. She was so good. When she was just saying, if somebody came to you and said, these are the charges we want to put on somebody and they said we didn't look at the underlying evidence would you go forward with those charges that's a great question and he was openly saying i didn't look at any of this evidence right like it's embarrassing because it's a dereliction of duty on his part and kamala had some other like great questions in there asking has the president or anyone at the white house ever suggested that you meaning william barr open an investigation of anyone and he's like, uh, and he waffles. Like, I wouldn't. And she just says, yes or no. Wow. Simple yes or no question. And he says, could you repeat the question? I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. Come okay. on. So it's an obtuse answer that William Barr is just trying to dodge. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to flat out say that, yeah, people probably have asked him to interfere or investigate right. others. Otherwise, you just say no. So here's, here's my problem with this whole thing, right? And I might have gone a little bit too far insulting the House members for questioning. But clearly, Kamala Harris knows what she's doing. Right. But she gets a limited amount of time to talk. Why isn't she, like, preparing the line of questioning for, like, the entire Senate or something like that? right? And she can't just say, look, here are the questions I'm going to ask. And I got another couple dozen more questions yep. that I'm not going to get time to. Right. You guys take these. So, so Dick Durbin, take this next. And right. Because next... for her to look so good and then other people to look so incompetent. We all know a lot of this is like we talk about with Lindsey Graham, right? It's about getting reelected. Right. And but honestly, they would look better with her line of questioning and no one would ever have to know it came from her. We might be surprised. Could be like, wow, uh, Patrick <laughs> Leahy's coming with the fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> If he can speak correctly. Somebody else, he hired someone good to write those questions. But I think it would only benefit them. And we talked about this before the recording, but the fact that after Kamala asked those questions that people weren't saying, I cede the rest of my time to Kamala to ask more. Yeah, right. Is a tragedy. Yeah. Because she was a prosecutor. She can ask the right questions. And Jeff, you made the comment while we were talking uh, before that 
if a lawyer's asking you the same question three different ways, they're going somewhere and you're yeah, in trouble. Yeah, they're going somewhere and you're yeah. screwed. Yeah, they, they got you boxed <laughs> in and you're about to be finished. Yeah. I don't want to get off topic. Can I ask you guys a question, though, mm-hmm. uh, regarding Harris? Where was that Harris at that CNN town hall? I was thinking the same thing. I just, she's, she was so confident there, so direct. Yeah. And, you know, one of our, we talked about this last episode, there was a lot of deferring. And the person I saw there was somebody that I could get behind to run for president. Absolutely. She was fantastic. And maybe she's just better off the cuff. Yeah. The thing is, in her, the, the one question when in the town hall where I was like, okay, this is the Harris I know, was when they asked her about the, um, the truancy stuff in, um, that she talked about in the town hall. She was saying how she was trying to stop people. She was trying to protect kids that were getting like killed. And she like did some research and found out that a lot of these kids that were getting killed in California were kids that had dropped out of school. So she had this like truancy law that supposedly was like too heavy handed mm-hmm. and ended up with, you know, potentially like parents going to jail or something right. like that. And when she when she got that question and she started defending it and she explained like the whole plan and what she was doing and what her motivations were, like I could see the passion in her. I could see like confidence and everything. When I saw that and I saw the answer to that question, I was like, okay, this is this is the Harris that I thought I knew. But yeah, a lot of those other questions, she was just, let's have a conversation. We should talk about that. And it was just, yeah. she was doing her best just not, you know, just to put herself on the line at all. Let's bring that back to the, the bar testimony today then. I, I think she made a strong case for being a great prosecutor. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised So if she does not win, let's say, the 2020 election or get the nomination. I think she's made a strong case for being, say, attorney general, taking William Barr's spot in the future, because I think law is where her passion is. That might be her best spot. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, let's talk about some of the other reactions that we had, uh, particularly Robert Mueller's himself. A big point of contention during today's testimony was that Robert Mueller, it was revealed just within the hour before the testimony was supposed to begin, that Mueller himself wrote a letter to the Justice Department and William Barr criticizing Barr's summary of the report. The Mueller report was released to uh, DOJ. William Barr, as attorney general, took it upon himself to write within 48 hours a four-page summary. And then three days later, Mueller sent a letter to Barr saying that summary that was sent to Congress and released to the public in the afternoon of March 24th did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office's work and conclusions. So then he goes on to say that he wants the Department of Justice to release his own team's summaries rather than bars. And then he thinks that would alleviate the misunderstandings that have arisen and would answer congressional and public questions about the nature and outcome of the investigation. Barr's saying flat out, dude, if you just release what we gave you instead of drawing your own conclusions and putting it out there, there'd be a lot fewer misconceptions about what's going on. Yeah. And he, to quote him, went against everything that they were saying that they needed to review it. To quote, he said, while we understand the department is reviewing the full report to determine what is appropriate for public release, process that our office is working with you to complete, that this process need not delay the release of the enclosed materials being the the summaries. Right. So again, this guy is playing by the rules as much as you ever could. Right. And Robert Mueller, those summaries did not have any of that grand jury testimony that was redacted in the full report. He was very careful to make sure these summaries did not include anything that was going to have to be redacted in the future. We well, so actually put no redactions in the summaries. There were a few lines right. 
that uh, but he like pre-redacted them. Said, "Hey, redact this, redact this, mm-hmm. release it." Because he's Done. a smart man. He understands how these investigations yeah. go. And the problem is that Barr received that letter. I mean, by that point, it's too late. He already released his own summary. But he could have released Mueller's summaries at that point. Yep. Instead, he decided to wait another few weeks to release the entire redacted report. Right. You might say, well, why does that matter? The problem is that William Barr, the attorney general, who we now know gave this report to the White House and crafted a response with the White House, was able to set the narrative from day one, rather than letting Robert Mueller's team tell the public what they found out. Mueller's summaries would have done a good job of just letting us know what was included in the report. Instead, Barr came out with his no collusion, kind of no, maybe no obstruction. Because Trump didn't know. Summary report. He didn't know he was obstructing. But he was really upset. So it was understandable that he, you know, might do some things because he was really mad. The saddest of excuses. So he's allowed to obstruct. And that's the big problem. And that's why I took issue with uh, Ted Cruz during this testimony weird with two things first his beard what the fuck come but, on man the beard, the beard looks cool you gotta you gotta get no, Ted some credit it's that, better that than the beard is awful <laughs> him trying to reframe this entire argument he's saying that the democrats argument in his mind was simply a fight over waiting a few weeks for the report yeah, not true that's not, that's true not the point and no. as i just laid out the point was that Barr and the white house shaped the whole narrative with that four-page summary and then that subsequent press conference Barr gave before the whole report came out. And they let that soak in the national consciousness yeah. for weeks. So all that's running on media is no collusion, evidence of obstruction, but not enough. Yeah. Whereas if they just had the whole report or Mueller's own summaries from day one, it paints a very different picture. Well, the thing that they're trying to set up, and it's, it's blatant now, is that obstruction did not occur because Trump or his kids weren't smart enough to know they were obstructing. This has now become the narrative that they're... We knew they were going to do that eventually. They're basically setting every one of these arguments up as that is the fall, right? Mm -hmm. So Republicans can be like, we're supporting this, we're supporting the no obstruction, no collusion. And if it comes down to it, more facts come out or, or... Mueller shows up and uh, <laughs> drink, drink, drink. <laughs> Mueller, <laughs> and he uh, he testifies that they can say, yeah, I mean, of course that happened, but Trump didn't know that that was obstruction. He didn't know that was outside of his power, right? He can they can just be like, you know, he was just he was just talking to his guys and yeah. saying, you know, I think this Mueller thing is crazy, and uh, I think we should get rid of him. And uh, that that they're saying now that he didn't specifically say fire him now to protect me just i think he should go yeah. and i they're they're going from the the thing you can't we talked about this last time you were on you can't get out of a speeding ticket because you didn't know the speed limit was 55 yeah you know right cop, the cop set traps at when the speed limit goes from 65 to 55 they sit at the bottom of that hill so you get it you're not allowed to get out as a normal citizen but the president of the united states can get out because he just wasn't aware of the law yeah that was the refrain we're going to hear from now on is that there's no underlying crime that's what Barr brought up time and time again as the excuse for why this couldn't be charged. And again, to the example Dennis brought up last week that you just reiterated about speeding, not knowing the law in a lot of times is just not an excuse. Except and for can- campaign finance violations. Oh, apparently. We've yeah. learned that that's, yeah. that's allowed. But you can still charge obstruction without an underlying crime. Bill Clinton was impeached for perjury, but there was no underlying crime. Perjury was the only piece there. Yeah. 
There was no crime before that. And perjury so, should be a crime if you're a president, by the way. Right. And I mean, it right. was, and that is technically a yeah. uh, felony, but there was nothing before that is the point. So just because the Mueller report didn't find direct evidence of um, conspiracy with Russian entities, where they didn't find a smoking gun where Trump said to Vladimir Putin, right. hey, really love the emails you gave me. Can you give me some more? Republicans are now saying... You know, there was no crime there because we couldn't prove it. So it's impossible for it to obstruct something if there wasn't a crime. Again, patently false. Right. You can obstruct an investigation that's going on regardless of the premise of that investigation. Barr kept falling back on that. Republicans are falling back on it. We'll, I'm sure we'll see that on Fox News and conservative media plastered everywhere. But it's just disingenuous as hell. And then to take it one step further, one of the scariest parts of this entire thing, Barr took that to... It's logical extreme, that line of thinking. And he says, quote, the president does not have to sit there constitutionally and allow it, meaning an investigation, to run its course. The president could terminate the proceeding and it would not be a corrupt intent because he was being falsely accused, end quote. So what William Barr is saying right there is that so long as the president thinks the investigation is false or unfair, they have the constitutional authority to just cancel it. It's insane. Which in a normal world means obstructing an investigation. You can only take from that that William Barr thinks the president is above the law. Again, like if any of us committed these acts, we'd be charged with obstruction of justice. The only reason he hasn't been is because he's president and they're unsure whether they're allowed to charge him. This is one of the things that we have to fix, right? I mean, clearly the president has the full authority to fire the special counsel or the director of the FBI or whoever he wants to get rid of, right? Mm-hmm. But something needs to happen where once an investigation is opened up and maybe at some point it's, it's known or it's stated that the president or his administration is a target of that investigation, he loses his power to fire certain people that are involved in that investigation. Like, it just makes no sense to get in this position where he can fire Comey or he can fire, he can tell someone to get rid of Mueller and it's perfectly within his, his powers to do so, but now we get into this whole discussion about, oh, well, did he do it because he was trying to stop the investigation, or was he doing it because there was some other reason, and there's no way to know, and, and we're that, sitting here Well, Trump never took the onus on himself to make the personal firings of any of these people, right? His, right. his and I will say, smart plan was he's put people in positions that he's allowed to put people in without a vote or... You know, by us electing as a public or even the Congress, he's appointing people that he knows. I mean, Barr wrote an entire paper about how to basically a job interview Barr did that the sitting president should not be able to be indicted. Right. Although in that in that particular example, Barr was confirmed by the Senate. Right. And we know why. (laughs) Well, we now we know. Yeah. You know, the side of that is there needs to be. You know, if a special counsel is appointed, like kind of where you're saying, Dennis, there's got to be levels, right? If Congress and the House, Senate of the House, say the special counsel's got this, that's got to be an untouched situation now. It's got to be apolitical. It's got to be separate. Like this was. Again, we've gone back to this over and over again. Mueller is apolitical. It should have given you an opportunity to say Mueller. Yeah, just do it for fun. There we go. Drink. (laughs) Um, But again, you know, Trump was very careful in not doing it himself. Um, Even you go back to the stuff. It's mob boss uh, tactics. Yeah. Make somebody else do the job Insulate yourself by a level. Have someone else take fall. 100%. That's what you tried uh, doing with Dom again. Yeah. He's doing it. He's doing it really well. And he's playing the book by the rules that we've written into our constitution and the way that we govern. 
And uh, that's got to be fixed, like you said, Dennis. There's got to be an additional check and balance put on that side of it where this can't happen ever again. Yeah, It's shitty because, again, everyone's running interference right now. And no one's sticking to the morals that they claim they had in the past. Like our friend, Lindsey. Lindsey Graham, my boy. Can you talk about what his views were on? Why you could be impeached? Yeah, let's not even talk. Let's let him talk about it. Okay. I'll play you guys a, a quick clip here. So the point I'm trying to make is you don't even have to be convicted of a crime to lose your job in this constitutional republic. If this body determines that your conduct as a public official is clearly out of bounds in your role because impeachment is not about punishment. Impeachment is about cleansing the office. Impeachment is about restoring honor and integrity to the office. Do we even need to add more to that? I think think he said it as good as he could. Did a great job. Thanks, Lindsey. Lindsey Graham, that's that's our hypocrisy of the week uh, one of many impeachment is about restoring the honor and integrity of the office is what lindsey graham said back in 1999 that's when that clip is from during the clinton impeachment proceedings so he was saying that just shady conduct is enough it's enough to impugn the integrity of the office so much that that president should be impeached and then the senate should take up a trial to find out if that president should be removed from office. What's changed, Lindsay? Because this isn't the only thing that's been going on in Donald Trump's orbit right now. Like, the Mueller report is just one of many, many investigations going on to him, his family, people he surrounded himself with, actions that he's taken that are unbecoming of a president. And I just find it fascinating that he's flipped to the other side on this. Yeah, I mean, I said it before we started... It's, it's the question of who's Lindsey Graham beholden to, right? Yeah. Because if it's switched this much, either you've not saying you can't change your opinion at that age, but in, 63. in two years to become a completely different theory on something, it just feels like something else is at work. And I don't want to you know, accuse him of anything, but you know, follow the money. I feel like there's something there. Let me just check, challenge you guys right, right quick. Um, rewind to like 1999. Do you, do you feel Clinton should have been impeached do you feel clinton should have been convicted so the impeachment was on the perjury charge perjury when he's obstruction of justice obstruction as well yeah i don't want to be ignorant about this but it was sitting in front saying i did not have sexual relations with that woman that's part of the perjury yeah it's part of it right yeah so he lied very unbecoming of the president right should he be impeached for having extramarital affair Probably not. Of course not. Um, if we started going down that road, we'd, we'd have, have no v- politicians left. No, yeah. We'd have such a slim list of people that could actually run. Yeah. Because when you start to get in some of these other positions, not necessarily president or whatever, you need some people that are in the gray area on some things. I'm not saying you should be in the gray area on... That was my thought, Kevin. You don't have to agree. <laughs> but I, I do think there are some areas in our politics, and especially you start getting on the side of um, defense, that... You know, it's not always cut and dry, and, and I think we all would agree with that. Do I think we're talking about the same charge right now? I think we're more talking about the Nixon stuff with Trump than we are the, the Clinton stuff, um, personally. I think I disagree, though. I think, yeah, the, the, the initial investigation into Whitewater and into, you know, all the stuff that came out with um, 
the sex and all that kind of stuff, infidelity, whatever. That's one thing. But at the end of the day, he encouraged witnesses to lie mm-hmm. to the grand jury. He, he should, lied to the grand jury. He should be impeached. He was witness tampering, obstruction of justice. Like, that's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It's always the cover up. Right. Right. And right. yeah, I, I think 100% he should have been impeached, uh, Bill Clinton. Um, I was a lot younger then and wasn't really following it. I can only remember what I remember which might my be parents my, were saying. Which might be my ignorance on this, to be very fair. But I mean, based on what I know now, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm going to sit here and spout facts about impeachment about and, you know, wax poetic about Trump getting impeached, then 100% I've got to hold Clinton to those same standards. I honestly, back then, I don't know if I transported myself back in time. I don't know. I don't think someone should be impeached for an extramarital affair. I think that perjury is a little less serious than, say, colluding with the foreign power and lying about that. But I would understand why people would say perjury is perjury and that you committed a felony and you're, you know, you're caught up in this now. That's not really my big Clinton issue. My big one is the obstruction. Right. Yeah. Telling witnesses to lie, big no-no. Yeah. yeah. That alone right there. Big problem is an impeachment, impeachable offense in my mind. Yeah. So I'm pretty confident I'd come down on that level, regardless. Because actually, I've got to bring up Lindsey Graham again. He says in that same testimony we just played a clip from, he's like, "I understand why someone would lie about having an extramarital affair. It's like you're trying to protect your family." He's like, "I totally understand that, and I do too. Like, I, I get that." Yep. Yeah. That was my point about the gray area yeah. stuff. Again, not the witness tampering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> To that I point, be- I just want to say we should be holding our politicians to the highest no. regard. Can I ask you guys a question? Because uh, a lot of times we talk about the facts of this stuff, but personal opinion. Say Trump had come out early on this and said, you know, I was trying to win the election. I was given some stuff by the Russians, took it, I ran with it to win this election. But now that I saw the scope of how they interfered and I'm against it, because I know I might have encouraged some of this stuff, but had he done that, do you think we're looking at this uh, tremendously different? I, I like this hypothetical world you've constructed where Donald Trump is a, a moral person. Yeah. A normal person. Looking out for the, the greater good of America because rather than himself. The reason I ask this, this is not the first time a politician took a, a left turn to try to get an upper hand. Right? Of course. Let's not right. blind our eyes. So I'm, not, I'm not saying anybody else has taken help from a foreign power that we were against, but... Listen, guys, first time, this is not the first time this has ever happened. Maybe not to the scope or extent, but people have cut corners to get where they need to be in all aspects of life. Do you think if that had happened, this whole thing is a lot different? Well, he'd be admitting to a crime regardless, so it'd be different because he but would be it? impeached immediately. Yes. Wait. Just because you had but, but he's already admitted. taking it. I mean, he sat in front of the stage and said... Wait, bring more. Release the emails. Like he, what he's crime? admitted in to your this. hypothetical situation. You were saying that he admitted that he reached out. Russia sent him. No, stuff. no, no, no. That no. he got it, and he was just like, he just got it, and he just said, "Listen, this is going to go out there." He talked to his campaign people and said, "Listen, guys, I have a heads up. This is going to get released." He didn't make them release it or tell them to go find it. But it just happened. Well, that's still, that's a, yeah, that's a legal gray area because you can't prove intent. Right. But do you think you if know he took a different do? stance, other than like, I had nothing to do with this, they were actually helping the Democrats? Crazy. The stance you take is the stance that Al Gore took in 2000. Al Gore received an anonymous mailed package that had all of the debate material to prepare him for a debate against uh, then Governor George W. Bush. Yep. Right? And you know what he did with it? 
He called the FBI and said, this is fishy as hell, probably illegal. What do we do about this? That's the right course of action you take in that situation. Clearly. And if Donald Trump had come out and he said, look, we just got all these Clinton emails. They sent them to us and called the FBI immediately and said, we, we're not going to release them on our own here. That's a different story. Okay. That's not what happened. And yeah, it would be a different story, but it's so far from reality. No, I, I know. I mean, this is not a, I just wondered what you guys no, thought I, about. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm biting. I'm taking the bait. Like, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. I think. Master Fisherman. If he came out and said, this is what happened. They were releasing this information. Anyways. Yeah, they were releasing it. We Regardless didn't, we didn't coordinate. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't tell them to do this other than me joking about it, let's say, on TV. But we accepted this. We, we now see how detrimental this is to the you know, democracy in our country. We're gonna, we're, you know, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need all these policies to make sure this never happens again. I acknowledge that this is not something we should have idly stood by. We should have done what Gore did and, and immediately contacted the FBI and whoever else. Um, I think it's a totally different conversation. Well, and he could have feigned that. ignorance. He could have been like, I've never ran, even though he had, but another story. But I haven't ran for office before. You know, it's a political game. I was trying to win. I'm a winner. I'm, the, I'm Mr. Art of the Deal. You know, I, I use this. I think we're in a different conversation now. It would be different because there'd be no special counsel investigation in that situation. Yeah, that as well. Because he'd already admit Flat to out. it. Because he, he could have saved said, himself. 99% of Trump's problems are his own making because he can't shut his mouth. Nothing worse is than lying when the truth is easier. Yeah. But as of right now, we, I mean, we, I'm, I think we all believe that there's more to the collusion or the cooperation that we don't know. Because right. Mueller, was, Mueller, <laughs> Mueller wasn't able to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're on board with me, bud. Thank you. He wasn't able to, you know, interview the um, Russian operatives and all this other stuff, right? But at the end of the day, there's got to be more to this. We think there's more to this than we know, right? But if there isn't, then what we know is that Russia attempted to help Trump out. Mm-hmm. Trump sat by and let it happen. Willingly. And willingly. Like, was very happy and Which encouraged it. Which speaks volumes about in, his character. To absolutely. He encouraged it. And encouraged it internally and, and told people in his group, like, hey, get go more. find those emails. Get more. Go get more. Whatever, right? None of that stuff's illegal, right? Right. Not technically. No. None of this technically illegal. So Shady. Not let, illegal. Yeah. So we know, he's a, we know he's not a good person. We know he doesn't have any morals. But let's just say, pretend that's the limit of what happened. Mm-hmm. And let's pretend that he didn't try to obstruct justice. A lot of pretending. He didn't. <laughs> yeah, this is the hypothetical. Yeah, hour this on is the, now uh, drinking in, liberally podcast. But he he didn't try to obstruct justice. He didn't try to um, fire anyone. He didn't try to push people out. He didn't try to stop any investigations. He just said, "Look, it happened." When people started asking questions, he was like, "Oh, well, this is what happened." Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We should have called the FBI. We should have done this. Yeah, I think it's a totally different situation. You that. get a little more sympathy, I think, from a lot of people across the country. And Kevin, I know we're not generally a hypothetical podcast like that. The reason I think that is an important discussion is because I don't think this is going away. I don't think this is beholden to the 2016 election, right? If we think this is done in 2020 or 2024, 2020. When you say this, the, the interference oh, right. by, yeah. by foreign governments. Certainly. And now we've seen a roadmap that this helped Trump get elected. Trump walks through this right now mm-hmm. clean. And he goes in that 2020 election, and this is behind us to the point it's going to be. And 
if you think the other candidates on both sides of the aisle aren't paying any attention to this, we're crazy. To say they're not going to try to cut some corners of what they saw work is really ignorant on our part. I agree with that a lot. And what worries me most is what happens when we don't have a guy that's as dumb as Donald Trump. That One that could actually make this work. Yeah, someone that actually does have evil intentions, we'll say, to take it to the extreme, and is also smart enough to make it work. Yeah. The and also smart laid. enough to cover it up. The blueprint's late. That's what worries me, and I think that's why Democrats need to take a stand right now. Look, there might be a far left-wing presidential candidate that does that in the future, too. It could be either side. 100%. Everybody should be super worried about how so many of our institutions have been undermined by this presidency and that no one's doing anything to fix it. We even had during this conference today, the hearing, like John Cornyn of Texas said, no Americans worked in Russia, blah, blah, blah. Like, so this was a waste of time. I was like, that's not true. So maybe it is true that no one directly worked with Russia, which is also iffy. Someone did. But a lot of them worked indirectly via their intermediary WikiLeaks. Kushner tried. He tried back. Kushner tried. Roger Stone's going to be going on trial, and we'll find out a lot about that because he was big into talking with Julian Assange. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a big deal as well. So to say that no Americans worked with Russia or assisted in any interference attempts, Paul Manafort sent polling data. To Russian contacts. Yeah. It's just either and they attack willfully those ex- ignorant or if it's just plain ignorant, he doesn't deserve to be in his position as And a they attack those exact areas where he signed. Yeah. U- Ukrainian contacts that had connections to, to Russian, Russian intelligence. And, and, yeah, I, right. and talking about going forward, I've watched a lot of the debates and policies that are coming out. Have you guys heard anything from any of the candidates that was super strong on this is exactly what my thoughts are, what we're going to do to make sure this doesn't happen. There is a bipartisan bill right now, election security bill going on um, that Barr was asked about today. And he said he wasn't aware that it existed. Of course. Which is strange to me as being the, again, top cop in the country. This is something that he should be aware of and be able to speak to measures taken. That's another fishy part of this story is that Russia interfered. That's clear. Done. We know. Like, it's we don't need to discuss that anymore. Yeah. yeah, fact. Not worth debating. Nope. No one seems to be doing anything to stop future interference from Russia, China, North Korea, anybody else. Iran. Have you guys I heard this think. from the candidates at all? I'm just I'm asking a real question there. I'm not, I, it's not rhetorical. Like I, I haven't personally. Yeah, yeah, actually, it was uh, of all the candidates. So Amy Klobuchar actually okay. asked Barr that question about the bipartisan election security bill. So... That's the first I've heard of it from her. If she's brought up before, then I apologize for being ignorant and not no one else though. checking it out. Um, it hasn't been widely broadcast, but it's something every single politician on both sides should be talking about in 2020. This is not going to stop in 2020. It's going to keep going on every election, and technology gets better and better. Yeah. And there are ways of interfering, getting around security protocols that we have are going to get better. They're going to have better data the more we're able to bring in AI to analyze what makes a bot look like a person versus a bot. The the big difference that that I've seen from from when I looked into this was that in 2016, they had all these bots to help amplify and to, to, to create all this noise. And what they switched to in 2018 was that instead of creating a lot of fake accounts, they used the bots 
to amplify the real accounts that were right. already saying the things that they wanted. Retweets, reposts. Yep. Right. So it was a lot harder to say, oh, this information is coming from a bot. It's like, no, this information is coming from a real person. It's just, just being retweeted. It's being bots. retweeted and amplified and pushed up by the bot. So, so yep. they're, they're already getting more sophisticated. Yep. And the, the scary thing about this is we're going to get to a point where right now our voting process, based on the technology we have, is archaic, right? We're asking people to stand in lines. We're asking people to punch stuff in on a, on a board. And we have the technology now, right? I mean, but does our voting process need to go towards biometric data, towards making sure that these votes that are coming from the person they are, and the way we can do that now, I mean, I open my phone with my face, right? Do we need to get to that point? I know the scary part of that is now we're giving the government all of our faces or our fingerprints or whatever it may be. I mean, would you guys agree? Like our voting process is super archaic. I we get to the point now where we count. I believe the opposite. I disagree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going full hog the other direction. Same. Uh, I think uh, it being archaic is a benefit to us because we're disconnecting it from the internet, which if it's connecting to the internet, it's susceptible to hacking. Also, I, n- in no way do I want the government having my biometric data. They fingerprint babies at I mean, this they, point for a lot of them, and they keep they have your databases. They have your data, just yeah, for the record. They have the data. We should not be willingly turning over any of that to people. Okay. Yeah, Punch the vote tickets. I think yeah, having 100%. paper ballot backups for everything should yeah. be a no-brainer. Absolutely. Now, can I you know, just a, real quick before you, before you go on, when it comes to like um, nuclear weapons and, and launching a nuclear missile, like those systems still run on those like five and a quarter floppy, floppy disks. Yeah. yeah. Because you can't hack them. Yeah, you can't hack it. So archaic when it comes to things that are like super, super secure is, is probably the way to go. Follow up question then. On the people that are entrusted to handle these votes, count these votes out, as opposed to this being a volunteer situation, should this be a thing that's funded either by state or federal? These are people that are trained are entrusted, are vetted to do this process. Does this need to be something that is more, I wanna say governed, but there's a margin of error and we have that built in, but to the same time, like uh, more with the polls, but like, yeah, I, I, I was just gonna say, hold I, on, I'm gonna stop you right there. Okay. Because there's no like margin of error in voting. I didn't mean, yeah, I didn't yeah. mean, I didn't mean that. I didn't okay. mean that. I just meant, to make that clear. There's no margin of error when we're voting and no, but we I understand just, your concern, but it hasn't been a problem in the past because the, voter fraud is next to non-existent. In-person voter but, fraud. In-person voter fraud. But we just saw the exist. absentee ballot fraud, right? No, that's that a real took thing. Over like We've seen election. some absentee ballot fraud, yeah. especially in North Carolina this past year. Would If you're going to do an absentee ballot, would having to do it biometrically maybe be something to talk about? If you're going in-person, one thing... But if somebody's going to collect your vote, have it in their hands, have to take it somewhere, is there another step we can do to, to prevent North Carolina, to prevent the issues we had in Georgia, Florida? And technology is growing exponentially, right? And just to ignore it on this level I think is foolish because I think there are probably places we could put it in to make sure some of this stuff doesn't happen. Well, for one, I... I would never recommend handing your absentee ballot to anyone that comes to your door. But you can't stop it. Um, yeah, part people of are going to continue. It's to part do of that. our deal, and it's uh, part of our deal for our military. <laughs> and that's never going to go away. Right, but they mail it in. It's not like they just hand it to a random stranger the way it played out in North Carolina. Absentee ballots, I guess, would be the only place I'd be concerned. 
Like in-person voting, again, Dennis, you said before, like voter fraud is just non-existent. It's yeah. so minimal that statistically insignificant. I, I would I would just say to, to your point, though, that when it comes to in-person voting, I, I don't want to take the power away from the locals. I, and I think volunteers are fine. So I'm, I disagree with that. Right. But I do think it would be nice, basically what we were just saying, if the government could say there are certain things that are required. So you are required to have a physical paper ballot, you know, backup of the vote. So right. for so for, for recount purposes. So I think there are certain things. They can say, look, he's the, these are the things that you have to meet. And then from there on, your local district, you can handle the vote when you want. But we need that paper ballot, that paper backup for, for recounts. And I would like to see, and some places might already do this, so shame on me if I don't know, but hey, whatever, I'm being honest about it. We're learning here, so we're talking. If we have a absentee ballot, say... Do it the way you write like checks where you keep you sign, you know, you hand it off and you still have your carbon copy of it at home. And then there should be random audits in every state checking those carbon copies against I the mean, paper ballots. It doesn't even have to be checks. I mean, if you get a job and you have to go take a drug test, right? Mm-hmm. There's a sealed thing that happens that you sign off on There's it. A chain of custody. It's sealed for in front. It. There's a chain of custody. Like at the minimum ballots should be treated the same way our urine is in those situations. And I know I took us off on a tangent, and I think that I do think before the 2020 election as a platform that we have here, I think we should revisit this. I think we should discuss a little bit more just about the way this is handled because I know the bot thing was more in influencing the vote as opposed to how the actual vote was handled, Um, but I do think we everyday technology gets better. We get closer and closer to it interfering with other parts of our elections. All right, let's have some fun. Let's do it. Dennis, you ready for another quiz? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you did win the Mayor Pete one by the skin of your teeth. Yeah, it was, it was close. But, uh, Weird I'm you did that proud. without reading the book. Look, I'm a huge fan of Mayor Pete, so, um, so all this information, like uh, the fact that his father's from Malta, that you had no clue, and you kept on saying he's from Chicago, those kind of things. I never said that, but okay. <laughs> Just go to the tape. Check the tape. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis, you're going to be back in the hot seat today. And just for any listeners that aren't familiar, we're going to ask Dennis a series of five questions about one of our Democratic presidential candidates. He does not know which candidate we're choosing today, although we're getting down the line, so he could probably narrow the field a little bit. Every time Dennis gets an answer right, Jeff and I will drink. If he gets it wrong, Dennis himself has to drink. Okay. Dennis, are you ready? I am ready. Today's candidate is Bernie Sanders. Question number one. Which of these jobs did Bernie Sanders not hold in his career? Is it A, congressman, B, mayor, C, governor, or D, teacher? Uh, C, governor. That is correct. Well done. For the record, I went one for four on this before the fifth question got added. Good job. Yeah. (laughs) Bernie Sanders actually taught uh, poli-sci after he graduated college, then served four terms as mayor of Burlington, Vermont, then became a congressman uh, from 91 to 2007, after which he was voted into the Senate and now running for president again. Nice. Question number two. Bernie Sanders has a Ben and Jerry's ice cream named after him. Oh, man. (laughs) What is its name? Is it A, Bernie's Yearning? B, Feel the Burn? C, Vermont Mint? 
D, Sanders Social uh, Sugar. Try saying that three times fast. Sanders Social Sugar. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, B, Feel the Burn. Incorrect. The answer is actually A, Bernie's Yearning. I did the same. Terrible, terrible yeah, name. Feel the Burn would be a much better yeah, name. Drink up, bad. sir. <laughs> Dennis, sip on that. Question number three. Bernie Sanders grew up in which borough of New York? Is it A, Queens, B, Brooklyn, C, the Bronx, or D, Staten Island? Um, I have no idea. I'm going to – it's got to be A or B. I'm going to go with B, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is hey. correct. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Jeff. <laughs> Relax. He seemed kind of like a Queens guy a little bit. but I honestly thought he was a Queens guy too. I said Bronx. Question number four. Bernie Sanders released a spoken word album with hints of what musical genre? A, country. B, rock. C, folk music. D, jazz. Oh, it's got to be D, jazz. Incorrect. It's actually a folk music album. Uh, <laughs> That's the one I got right. <laughs> In you 1987, when he was still mayor of Burlington, he released a folk spoken word album called We Shall Overcome. 87. 87. I probably should have asked the year. That probably would have clued me. Drink. Give me a better. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Stop making excuses and drink. <laughs> All Wait, right. so where am I? Last one. Two for two? I mean, two. Two for four. Two for four. Yeah. yeah. Again, I think this is actually what you did with the Mayor Pete quiz, yeah. too. This is a big one just right here. Just made it. Just made it. Can he champion it again? Game five. Game five. <laughs> <laughs> Question number five. Bernie Sanders says his interest in politics was piqued by which of these historical figures? I'm going to give you five choices on this one. Complicated a little bit. Was it A, Martin Luther King Jr.? Was it B, FDR? Was it C, Hitler? Was it D, Che Guerrero? Or E, Karl Marx? Oh, my God. This is awful. (laughs) And the question was what? Which of those people piqued his interest in politics? Oh, man. I'm going to go with this, and (laughs) we may have to cut it. I don't know, but I'm going to... Go with Hitler. That's actually <laughs> ding, correct. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, wow. wow. Hey. Good job. And before yeah. our listeners get too alarmed by that <laughs> answer, <laughs> we threw that in there as kind of almost a trick question. Bernie Sanders has gone on record a couple times saying, like, just growing up, seeing that a awful person like Hitler could get elected and then led to the deaths of millions. Yeah led him to understand how important politics really are in the global society. And that really piqued his interest in making sure that he could do as much good as he could. Yeah. That's why we keep having you back. You're the reigning champion. Well, I do like that guy's run in jeopardy. Yeah. That's going on right now. That's, that's, that's actually an honor. Yeah, to you hear should from be. You. But let me just ruin that right now and just say the way Hitler was able it's like, been great having you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know this is... is I'm, look, I'm going out on this. It's fine. Okay. Ripped okay. my inbox. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fine. But no, the way he was able to get the uh, get elected, and then that was it. Like, that was the last time they got to vote. Crazy how that we're, can happen. We're kind of seeing that playbook run right I'm, as we speak. I'll be honest. That's, that's a big fear of mine. To wrap up, our last topic of the day is going to be something that's going on in the Supreme Court right now. Uh, right now, they are debating whether or not to allow a question on the 2020 census that asks a responder's citizenship. 
Now, most Americans haven't seen that question since about 1950. Only the long form has had it. Most people receive the short form. Um, long form goes to a very small percentage of Americans. But this is a big deal. This was asked by the Trump administration. They're saying that asking this question is necessary to enforce the 1965 Voting Rights Act to make sure only citizens are voting, blah, blah, blah. A decision will come down from the Supreme Court sometime in June, we're expecting. Right now, it looks like they're leaning on the conservative side, as the court does. And that means they will allow this question to go forward. But there are some issues with it. You might be asking, like, why is this such a big deal? The reason why this is a big deal is that if you ask on there whether or not you're a United States citizen, it's going to keep a lot of non-citizens from reporting on the census. Okay? Yeah. And that's going to cause all of our population numbers to shift drastically. And that changes how tax dollars are allocated. It changes how House congressional districts are drawn. You might know that as gerrymandering, baby. There you go. And this could have serious repercussions for a number of states, uh, including Arizona, California, Florida, Illinois, New York, Texas. All of the states I just mentioned would be at risk of losing seats in the House strictly because of this chain. Now, a lot of states will also lose federal money. This is just not a great idea, in my opinion, at all. You could say, well, why don't they just lie and say, yes, I'm a citizen? To that, I'd ask you, the listener, would you lie with the current government and their anti-immigrant stance right now? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you would. Yeah, maybe out of spite. So there's a lot of illegal immigrants, right, in your community. And again, not in the cities we're talking about, but the thing this affects most are your Iowa farm towns, your places where they rely on this to run a business. Migrant labor. Period. And those places you will get really skewed numbers just because if the numbers are really high, that gives a target point for ICE, right? So I do think not only will the people be encouraged to lie personally, but I would think, and again, I might be wrong about this, but I would think if I was running a farm and we were putting out stuff and most of my labor was immigrants that were undocumented, when those censuses came out, I'd probably kind of have a talk with them and be like, listen, you know, unfortunately, here's where we're at. And if we put a target on our back, here's where we're going to be. That's a scary, scary situation to put people into. In this situation that you're describing where a farmer might have some illegal immigrants working there, describe exactly what you think they would do. So are you saying that the farmer would tell them to lie and say you're a citizen? Or not do the... Not do the I think it's more likely the latter there, that yeah. they would just not fill it out at all, uh, which would also lead to skewed numbers. We'll put this in the footnotes, but there's a really good investigative report, deep dive, that somebody did in a farm town where they were trying to figure out they were trying to figure out why the farmers were having issues keeping workers and it became a part of ice being around and I think that would get amplified tenfold if all of a sudden you found out in a town of 5000 people that a thousand of them weren't documented right because that's an easy hit target now all of a sudden you're going in it's happened in Texas a lot in those um, those factories where all of a sudden they go in and all of a sudden, all of their workers are gone. And I don't think that's the premise of what we're trying to do with immigration, right? These are people that are working well, and are paying taxes. It's what the Trump administration is trying to do right. with immigration. But 
that's that's not what we're trying to eradicate. We're trying to eradicate the people that are bringing drugs in and murderers. Not the people that are going to work every day, working for under wages and doing it from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or whatever. But this, to me, this is this is pretty simple. Uh, to be honest, I'm, the conversation you guys just had, I'm I'm not, I don't really understand the the issues with the farms and all that kind of stuff. But the idea here is that you have let's call them sanctuary cities or wherever you know whatever you want to call them but you have these these certain cities that are you know they're granting people that are undocumented driver's licenses and, and these kind of things are they're they're open and welcome to uh to immigrants and to undocumented so they can uh so they can live and work and, mm-hmm. and continue to, to live in those cities and this is to make sure those places lose funding because the idea is that those people are filling out census are getting counted and those cities are getting funds based on that and representation and they want to knock those down i don't think the focus of this are these farm towns and and i don't think that's the goal here dennis i i also think you're on to something there that this is a tactic to target areas with illegal immigrants because it'll give them a pretty clear picture when people don't respond because they're afraid to because they feel the government's going to come or ICE is going to come knock on their door. They don't respond and you see these areas that drastically drop in population from 10 years ago because they do the census every 10 years. It gives them a pretty good area where to target if they're looking for illegal immigrants. We are recording right now in Jersey City, which actually is a sanctuary city in New Jersey. Yep. Mayor Fulop, big up. Yeah, I just I just think, um, like I said before, earlier, like this is this is about taking those cities and cu- basically a way for the Trump administration to cut funds to those cities. Right. And since this comes back, those people are scared to fill it out. They don't send it in. Your reported population drops. You get less government funding. You get less representation that I think that's the main goal here. And. The way I think this would work out is those farmers or those pla- you know those places I, I think that they would have again this is just my opinion I would think that they would they would fill it out yeah and and I think when it comes to it they're going to be they're going to be targeting those cities that they want to target to to reduce funding and reduce representation Kevin on this note how do you feel about Trump coming out and saying yep I'm sending these immigrants to sanctuary cities Bring I'm, them. I'm doing that. Yeah, like, why not? You saw he said, I'm the, I'm the bad guy that's shuffling them into those cities already. That's Did you see the quote fine. by him? Because, and that again, these- immigrants are not more likely to commit crimes than any other American citizen. It's, these are people who come in and they just want jobs. You the- want to come here and work here for, unfortunately, minimum wage jobs are less than that. And then they still have to pay income tax, which the vast majority of them do, which feed into our Social Security and benefits that only we as citizens get to collect, then hell yeah, send them here. The end results, that's happening. How do you feel about the policy of taking these immigrants that come across the border? Do you think it should just be, okay, we're going to ship you to sanctuary cities as no. an overall policy? Because that's what he's doing. Do you think it's I that, don't think that policy is okay? Policy. I think they should be allowed to go live with their families that might be living here legally, they should be able to go anywhere in the country they want to. Right. Um, people that come here and claim asylum should be able to go wherever they want. 
in this country. This you saw that quote yeah, from Trump, right? Yeah, I that, did. Yeah, I think it. it's a different issue. But though. I think it's but I think it's a joke because the fact of the matter is they do go wherever they want. So the 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 evidence shows that you have these border towns or these places that are right along the border. When people come across, they don't stay there because a lot of them have family. And where's their family? Their family's in New York. Their family's in L.A. Their family's in these these cities where you have these concentrations of immigrants. And so, yeah, Trump can say, okay, we're going to bust all the people that come in to this city. If they've got family in Chicago or they got family in New York, they're not staying there. They're going to pick up and they're going to move to where their family is. So, you know, people move where they want to move. And this whole idea that these border towns are overwhelmed with immigrants is also false because they come there and they immediately leave. They don't just, I mean, the vast majority immediately go and where they have connections. They don't just sit there and squat. And, and the last thing on this topic before we move on, I just want to touch on the fact of how inherently racist that policy is. So racist. Because Donald Trump is assuming that when he said that, he, was, he meant that this is a punishment for those cities. Yeah. Right. So he's 100%. assuming that everyone that he's shipping over there are criminals or worse. And that's just not the case statistically. So just it's gross that he's saying that. It's not a it's not a punishment. These cities were set up the best of all of them to care for immigrants that come into the country. So maybe it's not the worst thing for them. I think uh, Trump's misguided in it's a bad his policy. motivation it's a bad for policy. it. <laughs> he clearly thinks that he's doing this to appeal to his base and, you know, cause issues for democratic cities, which are the vast majority of sanctuary cities. But that's not the case. I know we did the uh, hypocrisy of the week with Lindsey Graham's clip earlier, but this is another one I want to bring up. It's a couple weeks old by this point, but I wanted to touch on it anyway. And this will fall under our fake news of the week category. And today's topic is a tweet surprise, surprise, from Donald Trump, wherein he retweeted a graphic from the Lou Dobbs show on Fox News, which is a pretty pro-Trump television program. And Lou Dobbs ran a graphic on his show that uh, purports that Donald Trump had a 55% approval rating in a new poll Interesting. by Georgetown Politics. It's very high, 55%. Yeah. In a regular time with our economy actually working as well as it is, that, that would seem reasonable, but yeah. not with this president. Um, Trump tweeted the image with the quote just saying, great news, hashtag MAGA, great. The fake news part of this, it turns out that the Georgetown poll actually showed that the 55% was his unfavorable rating. <laughs> That's fitting. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Uh, his favorability rating was actually 40% in that poll, Yeah, which is not something he'd retweet. Right. Uh, but I, also for him is actually pretty impressive. Higher than it should be. Yeah. yeah. I just thought that was funny. Uh, Fox News actually did issue a correction to it, to their credit. Uh, but Trump still has that tweet up. Of course. Yeah. He's going <laughs> to he's gonna let that, that ride out there. Yep. So that's our very quick fake news of the week. Just to wrap up, we'll give you a... I only have one topic here to keep an eye on for this week. And that is the fact that a, a D.C. federal judge has allowed the emoluments lawsuit against Donald Trump to proceed. Uh, we've touched on the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution in a previous episode, but just a quick recap. It's a clause that says that a politician should not be 
accepting money that could be construed as a bribe mm-hmm. in their position. So this lawsuit is saying that any money that Donald Trump takes in from his hotels can technically be used as a bribe by a foreign power. And we have had a lot of foreign powers stay at his hotel in D.C. Yeah. And that's what the big deal is with that. So something to keep an eye on as that plays out in the future. So, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. I love it coming here every time. It's, it's awesome. You've been great. Jeff, is there anything you want to plug before we close out? Just keep looking at any way you can get involved. Talking earlier, the 2020 elections are not just about the president. Um, we're going to have Senate seats up. If you're in an area that needs to swing blue, swing blue. If you're in an area that's already blue, keep it blue. And uh, it's going to be very, very important. The only way to fix this is to vote. Yep. Get out there and vote. Get involved in any local campaigns or state campaigns you can. Shout out to Abita. <laughs> Great beer. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at drinking underscore lib pod. We also have a website, www.drinkingliberallypod.com, where we'll post links to our episodes and footnotes. And of course, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. It really helps us gets us to some new listeners. We truly appreciate everyone that's taking the time to do so. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll talk to you next one. Cheers.